in just a moment, I'm going to read to us from Luke chapter 2. And it's very well possible that Luke chapter 2 is a familiar portion of Scripture to us. But in Luke chapter 2, we see the essence of what's described here uh, as uh, we celebrate Christmas Eve, as we celebrate the birth of Christ. We see the main elements of what took place at the birth of Christ explained for us in Luke chapter 2. Starting with verse 1, this is what it states. In those days, a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. This was the first registration when Quirinius was governor of Syria. And all went to be registered, each to his own town. And Joseph also went up from Galilee, from the town of Nazareth to Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and lineage of David, to be registered with Mary, his betrothed, who was with child. And while they were there, the time came for her to give birth. And she gave birth to her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling cloths and laid him in a manger because there was no place for them in the inn. And in the same region there were shepherds out in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them. And they were filled with great fear. And the angel said to them, Fear not, For behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest. And on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. When the angels went away from them into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let us go over to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. And they went with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in a manger. And when they saw it, they made known the saying that had been told them concerning this child. And all who heard it wondered at what the shepherds told them. But Mary treasured up all these things, pondering them in her heart. And the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen as it had been told them. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for the privilege this evening to be able to carve out some time to look at Your Word and to look at what we're actually celebrating this evening and tomorrow with our friends and our family and with our church family. Lord, we rejoice this evening in the incarnation of Your Son, Jesus Christ, who came to this earth and took on flesh. And we pray that as we look at this portion of Scripture and as we, act, as we ask some, some questions related to it, Lord, that, that have application to our day-to-day lives, we pray that you'd help us to understand the truth of your word and to understand more about who you are and the depth of your love that you have for us. So Lord, we commit this time to your care and we thank you now for the privilege to be able to look at your word and think about these things this evening. And we pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen. So uh, earlier this evening, some of us were in the entryway. We were talking about some of our traditions, some of the things that we like to do during the Christmas season. And I imagine that most families probably have a few traditions that they like to enjoy during the Christmas season. 
Um, when uh, many of you saw the video that we posted online of the children uh, here in the church talking about some of the things that they enjoy most at Christmas time, and uh, the children said different things like opening gifts. Some of them said uh, building gingerbread houses, which never seemed to go well with our family, but maybe with some of your families it goes well. Uh, some of the children said they really enjoyed baking cookies together with their family. Obviously, um, you know, just a variety of things like that that tend to be traditional things that, that, that people tend to enjoy and people tend to think are fun. So many of the kids expressed enjoying that. Remember about 10 years ago, our family decided to put some additional thought into how we were spending our Christmas day together. And we decided to do a few different things. Uh, and so now our day, decide, we decided that we would, we would all kind of pick some of our favorite foods, and that would be part of the day, and we each take turns uh, participating in, in making that food and preparing it and serving it to one another. Uh, we enjoy watching a few, a few movies together, and we try and mix up which movies we watch. We like to play a few specific board games. I hope when I see you after Christmas, I'm able to tell you that I defeated my children in Monopoly again this year, but I don't know. That may not happen. Um, we also keep a fireplace roaring in the fireplace all day long. So from morning to night, we keep it going all day long. But before any of that, before we do any one of those things, the first thing on our agenda on Christmas morning is to read the 20 verses of Luke chapter 2 that we just read together. It's the very first thing we do on Christmas morning as we get together as a family. Now, Luke chapter 2 is a fascinating portion of God's Word. When we look at this portion of Scripture, we're given a glimpse of the key elements of God's redemptive plan for humanity. In this portion of Scripture that we just read together, we see the fulfillment of ancient prophecies, we see confirmation of God's hand divinely and sovereignly orchestrating signs. We see the sovereign oversight that God has over humanity. And we see the incarnation of the Son of God in the birth of Jesus Christ. And as the Old Testament Scriptures had prophesied, and so you could see this as you're reading through the Old Testament, here we have Jesus the Messiah coming in the lineage of David, being born of a virgin. We see in this portion of Scripture that his birth was heralded by angels. Uh, his birth was marveled over by simple shepherds. His earthly parents were amazed at what God was doing in their midst. And they were faithful to obey the Lord's leading during this season of their lives. And when I read a portion of Scripture like this, there's all sorts of images that come to my mind, all sorts of things that I wonder about. But I can't help but wonder what some of the conversations that Mary and Joseph had, what those conversations were like in the months leading up to this, in the moment itself, and in the days just after. I wonder what their conversations sounded like. I wonder what they talked about. I wondered uh, you know, just, just how fascinated they were with everything that they were seeing. Now, for some people... When they think of Christmas and, when, and the ways in which they celebrate Christmas, they kind of celebrate it as maybe almost like an over-the-top carnival that is like an extravaganza filled with lights and glitter and noise and rushing around, and some of that can certainly be fun. But I have to admit that the simplicity of what I see in a passage like this, it ministers to me in a way that none of the extra things could. 
When I read this account that we're given here in Luke chapter 2, this is what comes to my mind. This is what I see when we read that passage. I see a young family that's just starting out. And they're doing their best to comply with the regulations of their government, even though they're moments away from having a child. So they're just starting out, trying to do what the government's telling them to do, but also the timing of it is such that this baby is just about to come. I see a young couple that doesn't have the prominence or the money or the connections to make it possible for them to enjoy posh accommodations while they're in Bethlehem. Instead, they're forced by necessity to camp outside, to sleep with the animals, to give birth in a stable. I see shepherds trying their best to do their job late into the evening. Uh, In that context, their parents certainly would not brag about the the kind of job that their sons were doing, because in that context, shepherds were often treated like second-class citizens, so this wasn't a job or a career that other parents would be bragging about. Oh, your son's a shepherd. That's fascinating. How good is he? You know, oh, he's really good. No, he's really good. He sheps well. Um, They wouldn't be bragging about that. Right? They were treated like second-class citizens in their context. They were used to being uh, unappreciated and treated by others as being kind of maybe even dirty or unappealing, uh, looking at their tasks sometimes as being a bit routine, but yet they were faithful to accomplish the task that they had been given. And so you see all these things taking place as Christ is about to be born. And the Scripture shows us here that it was to a young couple camping outside and to a group of unappreciated shepherds who didn't have the, the, the luxury of being distracted by the finer things in this world that God miraculously spoke to that evening. And in some ways, I can't help but wonder if they were in the perfect position to actually listen to what God was trying to say. You know, these are humble people who witnessed the birth of Christ. And so I have a few questions related to this I just want us to be thinking about this evening. And the first question I want to ask is this. Why does it matter that Jesus was born? This is what we're celebrating tonight, the incarnation. You know, when Christ came to this earth and took on flesh, why does it even matter that Jesus was born? Let me reread just a couple verses from Luke 2. I'll reread verses 6 and 7, but they say this. And while they were there, the time came for her to give birth. And she gave birth to her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling cloths and laid him in a manger because there was no place for them in the inn. Now, I've had the privilege to be present for the birth of each of my four children. And when a child is being born, there's certainly a lot going on in those moments. The mother is in pain, but determined and focused and, you know, just dialed in on giving birth to the child. And in the same context, you have the father being nervous, wanting to help. I always used to think to myself, you know, when our first child was being born, uh, one of the nurses encouraged me, hold your wife's head up. Hold your wife's head up. That'll help her eyes not to have, she said, it'll help her eyes not to have broken blood vessels after she gives birth. And I was like, really? Well, now I know what I need to do, right? And so in the midst of that, as, you know, as each of the children were born, it's like, I have a task. And I felt like I was accomplishing something meaningful because, like, I'm holding my wife's head up. I am providing support for her in that moment. Truth is, maybe it helped, maybe it didn't. I don't know. Uh, I, I'm pretty certain that my wife was doing most of the work. Uh, but in the midst of that, you're, you know, as a dad, you're there nervous. You're wanting to help. And you realize there's only so much I can offer in this context. 
But if the nurse tells me, hey, you know, hold her head up a little bit, it'll certainly be helpful to her. It's like, all right, that's going to be my task. That's what I'm going to do. And, uh, and as the child is born, you know, I remember as we were watching each of our children be born, what ends up happening, your heart floods with joy, your heart floods with relief, you know there's a whole ton of work ahead of you, but you also take a quick moment to rest and be thankful as each of those children are born. And here in this portion of Scripture, we see the birth of Jesus Christ and the circumstances that surround His birth. The birth of Christ was prophesied from the earliest chapters of Genesis. See, really specific things said about that right there in Genesis 3. And it's described right after Adam had sinned, and sin was now transmitted to all humanity through him. And he and Eve were told that the day was going to come when the seed of the woman would be, would be born and would crush Satan. That the seed of the woman would come and crush the head of Satan. So, you know, and, and that prophecy is given to us in Genesis chapter 3, verse 15. But in that reference that's spoken of there, I see a reference to the virgin birth of Christ, who is conceived by the Holy Spirit through the Virgin Mary, and was therefore born without a sin nature, like those of us who are naturally conceived through the seed of a father and have a sin nature passed down to us, but yet we have Christ who comes as the seed of the woman, fulfilling that prophecy, born without a sin nature. Now, when you look at the totality of Scripture and you look at the things that Scripture teaches us all throughout, Scripture wants us, uh, the Lord specifically as He's revealing Scripture, wants us to know Him and He wants us to know things about Him. And one of the things that Scripture reveals to us about the Lord is that, is that God exists as three co-eternal and co-equal persons, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And when Jesus Christ, who is God the Son, came to this earth and when He took on flesh, he did so to undo the mess that Adam made when he rebelled. So why does it matter that Jesus was born? Why does that matter? Well, when Jesus was born, when Jesus came into this earth, when Jesus took on flesh, he did so as one without a sin nature, and he went through life, and Scripture tells us that there were seasons where he was tempted. But it also tells us that when he was tempted, he never gave in to the temptation and never sinned. We're told that he lived the sinless life that Adam chose not to live. We're told that being sinless, Jesus was able to offer himself as the one who could take the punishment for our sin upon himself since he was innocent of sin. You had to be innocent of the crime in order to be able to take the punishment for the crime upon yourself. And so Christ did that for us. We also know that Jesus proved his divinity, and he proved his sinlessness when he rose from the grave. And now he looks at you and me, and he offers us a complete pardon from our sin. Complete pardon. He offers us eternal life if we will trust in him. That's what he offers to us. It matters that he was born because he undid the mess that Adam had made. He lived the perfect life on our behalf that we could never live so that in Him we could be reckoned as righteous. It matters that Jesus took on human flesh. It matters that He was born as a man. Without His intervention in human history, we would remain lost in our sin. Something else I want to just throw out there as a question. I don't know what, what tends to frighten you 
But there's fear referenced in Luke chapter 2, particularly when we, we see the initial emotion that the shepherds experienced. The initial emotion they experienced was fear. And the Scripture reminds us that we don't need to be consumed by fear. Let me reread verses 10 and, and 11 of Luke chapter 2. There it says this. It says, And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. Now, fear is a natural impulse that all of us have experienced to one degree or another. And uh, I don't know which category you'd put yourself in when you think of experiencing fear, but some people, when they're fearful, they get defensive, and they fight when they're afraid. So some of you might put yourself in that category. If something frightens you, I won't, I won't uh, mention who this is, uh, because the person's actually here in this room, all right? But during the summer months, it gets really hot up here, and my office is right over in there. And so sometimes during the summer months, I prefer to work in the basement here in the church because it stays a lot cooler down there. And one summer day, I was working in the basement, and all of a sudden, I heard somebody come in the building and start walking down the back steps here and come to the door. And I thought, who is that? No one's supposed to be here. And I hear the door start opening really slowly and really creepily. And I'm working right about right here, right near where the door is. And I stood up from where I was and I clenched my fists. And I thought, I don't know what's going on, but something seems not right. And then somebody that's in this room poked their head around the corner and was like, did I get you? Did I freak you out? And I looked directly at Rich and I was like, Rich, please don't do that to me, right? So sometimes when you're consumed by fear, there are moments where it's almost like that fight impulse is triggered. And then other times when you're consumed by fear, I remember at one point a family member of mine had a kitchen fire, and I happened to be present for it. And when the, the fire took place, they had a grease fire, and they brought the, the pan over to the kitchen sink, and then it caught the curtains behind the kitchen sink on fire, and they froze and I remember watching this take place. I heard a yelp, and I, I walked out, and I looked, and I see fro you know, just the person was frozen in place. Reached into the refrigerator, grabbed some baking soda, put it on everything, and it doused the flames. But I think we could all probably testify to the fact that there are times in our lives when fear strikes us and we feel like fighting, and then other times fear strikes us and we feel like freezing. And it happens to both of us, maybe not proportionately. Maybe you lean more toward one side or the other when it comes to that. But the point being, we all can identify with what it feels like to experience fear. And if you analyze yourself, and I like to do this from time to time, and, and you probably do this to yourself too, do you ever just sit back and try and figure out what's at the root of my fears? What am I most fearful of? What's at the root of all of this? And I think that many of our greatest fears have at their root a fear that kind of falls into one of two categories. Either the fear of separation in some way, right? So a big umbrella term, a fear of separation from someone or something, or the fear of death. And I think those are the two of the biggest things that we as human beings tend to fear. A fear of separation or a fear of death. And when Jesus came to this earth... He dealt with both of those issues. 
He dealt with the fear of separation. He dealt with the fear of death. Here, when the shepherds were first confronted by the angels, they were understandably fearful. And if you want to ever look at something that's kind of interesting, look at what angels tend to say when they first interact with people all throughout Scripture. When they interact with people, they usually say something along the lines of, don't be afraid. And here in this portion of Scripture, when the shepherds are first seeing the angels, they're understandably fearful. Now, to my knowledge, I have never seen an angel unless he disguised himself. And Scripture says that that's entirely possible that that could happen, that you can experience or witness an angel and not even be aware of it. But I think if an angel made himself known as an angel... You know, I picture myself, if you ever worked an overnight job of any kind, if you ever worked security or anything like that, imagine yourself patrolling a piece of property. You're by yourself. It's dark. It's night. You're walking around. You're looking into buildings. You're making sure everything's okay in the perimeter. You're checking things out. And an angel appears to you. What would you do in a context? First of all, what would you do in a context like that if just a human being appeared to you? That would be freaky enough in and of itself. But imagine being in a context, working late at night, whether you're by yourself or with a group, and an angel appears to you. I can guarantee you that every single one of us would be terrified if we had an experience like that. And when you look at this portion of Scripture, it describes the shepherds. And it tells us that they were doing their job, but they were fearful when the angels showed up. So the angels assure them, you don't need to be afraid. That's their comment as they're about to announce significant information. But first they start off by saying, you can calm down. You don't need to be afraid. I see two reasons that stand out to me right away in this passage that indicate why they did not need to be afraid. And I would say that these are, these are reasons that, that we could take to heart as well. In their particular context, the first reason they didn't need to be afraid was this. The angels were not there to hurt or destroy them. You know, as they're seeing this take place, they're wondering, all right, a celestial being is now right here in front of me. What is it going to do to me? Obviously, it's more powerful than I am. What am I supposed to do? Take my, my shepherd's crook and try and swat one of its wings or something like that and make it lose its balance? Or, you know, what am I going to do? They recognize in that moment there's nothing that they can do. If this, if this being that's now appeared, if these beings that have now appeared choose to exercise their power over us, we're done. And the angels say, no, we're not here to do that. So they say, you know, calm down. The angels are not there to hurt or destroy them. But the second reason there that, that we can see in the message that the angels are expressing here that they don't need to be fearful is because Christ the Lord was born that day. And it's the bigger of the two reasons. Christ the Lord was born that day. Jesus is the cure for our biggest fears. He's the cure for our separation issues. Because what has He come to this earth to do? To facilitate relationship with us. He's the cure for our separation issues. In Him, we are reconciled to God. Jesus is the cure for our fear of death. In Him, we find abundant life. In Him, we find eternal life. Because of who Jesus is and because of what Jesus has accomplished for us, we do not need to be consumed with fear any longer. 
because he is who he is and he's done what he's done and he's done so on our behalf. And just as the shepherds are reminded here, as the angels are speaking to them that they don't need to be consumed with fear, we don't need to be consumed with fear either. All of us struggle with fear, all of us struggle with worry, all of us struggle with anxiety in all kinds of contexts. But we can take the truth to heart that's spoken here in this portion of Scripture that reminds us that the Lord's got all things in His hand and under His control, and we do not need to be paralyzed from fear, and we don't need to spend our lives with our our fists clenched like we need to fight our way through life. If we know Christ, we do not need to be consumed with fear. There's one other thing that I want to point out from this portion of Scripture, but I want to ask it as a question based on what we see here, and that's this. Will we also treasure these truths in our hearts? It's one thing to hear them, and maybe you've heard these things stated Christmas after Christmas after Christmas. But will we treasure these truths in our hearts, or will we just acknowledge them as words on a page? There's two different ways you can respond to this information. Look at what it says in Luke chapter 2, verses 19 and 20. There it says this, But Mary treasured up all these things, pondering them in her heart. And the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen as it had been told them. So you can see very clearly when you look at this portion of Scripture and the surrounding Scriptures that Joseph and Mary were not well-off, impressive socialites with high pedigrees and with with trust, trust funds that could monetize their every whim. That wasn't the kind of background or life that they experienced. They were young Simple people with very humble means. That's what the Scripture describes here. A young couple. Simple people with humble means. And yet, to this young couple, the Messiah, Jesus Christ, was born. They did not know all the details about what God was going to do. But they did know that they could trust God for the things that they as of yet had not seen. So they didn't know every last detail. Is that not true for us as well, by the way? You don't know every last detail. I always think of this at the end of the year. Think, boy, I'm glad I didn't know everything that was going to happen to me in this past year and everything I would have experienced. I'm glad that I only had to face it a day at a time and not a year or a chunk, even a month at a time. Just a day at a time, maybe even hour by hour, right? Well, we're at the cusp of a new year. We don't know what we'll face this year. There'll probably be highs and lows just like there are every year. And then you look at what the Lord does and what He shows us even through people like Joseph and Mary, and you can see in them that they didn't know all the things that God was going to do, but they knew that they could trust Him for the things that they had already seen, and they could trust Him for the things that as of yet they had not seen. And they also knew that they could rejoice in what He was in the process of showing them right then and there in the context that they were in. As Christ was born, and as the shepherds came to see them, We're told that Mary treasured what was taking place. She treasured all of this as she's seeing this. She treasured this miraculous birth. She treasured this enthusiastic visit from the shepherds. She treasured their retelling of what the angels had told them. And that's one thing that I think must have been fascinating for, for, for Mary and Joseph as they're hearing this. These shepherds come, find exactly where they are, and begin retelling to them what angels had revealed. And they're just sitting there, and they're listening, and they're thinking about all of this, and they're treasuring it all. This whole experience was an amazing blessing to all humanity. 
And Mary couldn't help but ponder what the Lord was doing and why He had chosen her and and had chosen her husband to be part of this miraculous event because you could see that they didn't think that they were somebody. They didn't think that they were notable. They didn't think they were deserving of this, but they were certainly appreciative of what the Lord was doing and they were amazed by it all. Well, we have the same privilege that they had in the sense that we have the privilege to treasure these things and ponder these things as well. So in in just a little bit, I'm sure you have some things you'll do this evening that'll be joyful and fun, and plenty of things you'll do tomorrow that'll be joyful and fun. But I want our minds to focus on something in our remaining minutes together. And I want to leave you with a few biblical truths that I hope will remind you of the peace that Christ brings to the heart of anyone who will trust in Him, to the heart of anyone who will welcome Him to be Lord of their life. And I hope that these are things that, that ring in our minds and ring in our hearts far beyond the moment in time in which I'll read these from Scripture. But in Colossians chapter 3, verse 15, it says this. And please just think about this for a moment. Just ponder it or treasure this truth in your heart as I read it. But Colossians 3.15 says this, And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in one body, and be thankful. Let the peace of Christ rule in your heart. So many times in my life I've let fear, I've let worry, I've let anxiety, I've let anger rule in my heart. And the Scripture reminds us that Jesus, who came to this earth, took on flesh, lived the perfect life, ascended back to heaven after rising from the grave, offering new life to all who will trust in Him, seeking to be Lord of your life and Lord of your heart, He invites us to what? Let His peace rule in our hearts. To let His peace call the shots in our minds and in our hearts and in our lives. To be thankful for that. I love what Jesus said in Matthew chapter 11, verse 28 down to verse 30. He said, Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Again, how often do we spend life or good chunks of our life, going through life feeling burdened by all sorts of things that we know we cannot carry in our own strength. And what does Christ invite us to find? He invites us to find through Him rest for our souls. A confidence in Him that we could even say is the fruit of the peace that He brings as we're confident of His presence in our lives. And He tells us you will find rest for your soul in Him if you seek Him. He invites us to experience that. It's His gift to us. One last thing I want to read to us before we pray. In Psalm 40, verse 17, you have David, the one through the lineage that Jesus Christ came. And he makes this statement in Psalm 40, verse 17. He says, as for me, so you know, consider this. I mean, here's someone that the Lord raised up to be a king in his generation. But he says, as for me, I am poor and needy. But the Lord takes thought for me. The Lord thinks about me. The Lord actually gives care for me. You know, I have nothing impressive to offer the Lord. The Lord takes care for me. 
Isn't that a wonderful thing for us to be able to acknowledge that the Lord cares for us? Is that not what's being demonstrated in the birth of Jesus Christ? That we are cared for, that we are loved, that we are thought of. Again, David says, as for me, I am poor and needy, but the Lord takes thought for me. And he goes on to say, you are my help and my deliverer. Do not delay, oh my God. Do not delay my help and my deliverer. These are truths that are fulfilled in Jesus Christ. And so tonight as you reflect on these things, tomorrow as we celebrate with our families and friends and as we reflect on these things, my hope and my prayer for each and every one of us is that we experience the rest and the peace that Jesus Christ came to this earth to offer us. And it's available to every single one of us if we simply trust in Him. If we welcome Him to be part of our lives, and not just part of our lives, but to raise us from death to new life through faith in Him. That Christ would be Lord. That Christ would be the Messiah in our lives. That Christ would be the Savior that we look to for help and ultimate comfort. He satisfies the deepest longings of our hearts. And every single one of us have those longings. But as David said here, he says, look, I'm poor and needy, but the Lord takes thought for me. That's something that we can rejoice in as well, and we see it proven to us as we celebrate the birth of Christ, that the Lord actually thinks about us, that He actually cares for us, that He offers Himself to us. You and I do not need to go through life thinking that we have to do this in our own wisdom, strength, and power. We have Jesus Christ who's come to us and He offers Himself to us. And if we accept Christ as our Lord, we can be assured of the fact that He will be present with us in the midst of every single thing that we go through. From your youth to your oldest age, He will be present with you. You don't need to go through life consumed with fear. You can go through life guarded by the peace of Christ knowing that He's present with you. In a moment, I'm going to pray for us. And then we're going to take a look at one more Scripture. And then we'll light some candles together and again, give praise to our Lord. But let's pray together first before we do those things. Lord, thank You so much for Your goodness and Your grace and Your love. Thank You for what You reveal to us in Your Word. Thank You for the fact that You came to this earth and You offered Yourself to us. And we know, Lord, that that all of us have a propensity to go through life thinking that we need to fight our own battles and thinking that we need to be subservient to fear and anxiety and dependent on our own strength. And yet when we look at a portion of Scripture like we looked at tonight, we realize that You came to this earth not because we were self-sufficient, but because we were needy. We were lost in sin, we were dead in sin, we were without hope, and yet you came to this earth and you offered yourself to us. You lived the perfect life that we couldn't live. You died on the cross, taking our sin upon yourself, atoning for our sin, taking our punishment upon you so that you could offer us the gift of your pardon from sin. You rose from the grave, defeating sin, defeating Satan, defeating death. And you offer new life to everyone who will trust in you. You raise us up in you. You grant us abundant life now and eternal life that cannot be snuffed out. And you work in our lives day by day to reflect your glory. Lord, we think of the people that we see in the portion of Scripture that we read together this evening. 
You think of Mary, we think of Joseph and their humble beginnings, and, and yet your willingness to do miraculous things in their lives. We think of the shepherds who in their context were certainly not bragged about, and yet you came to them and spoke to them in such a way that that they were shocked as your message was delivered by your angels, but yet they obviously believed. They came to that stable. They came to that manger. They observed the Messiah who had been born in their midst, Christ the Lord. And they rejoiced and they gave you glory. Lord, you know our hearts. You know the background and the heart of every person gathered together in this room. And you know our... Our struggles, you know our difficulties, you know the type of things that keep us awake at night, you know the type of things that that we've tried to rely on, almost like a, a false savior in this world. But Lord, we pray that we would put those falsehoods aside. We pray that we wouldn't even try to be our own savior, but that we would trust in you and that we would rejoice in the fact that you came to this earth to rescue lost sinners like us. Help us, Lord, to lean on you hard. Help us, Lord, to have confidence in You in the midst of everything that we experience. And help us to have an experience of peace in the midst of a world that tries to throw all sorts of things at us that could compete for that peace. But we know, Lord, that Your peace passes all understanding and You guard our hearts, You guard our minds and Your Son, Jesus Christ. So we give our hearts over to You and we pray that by Your grace that You would be Lord of our lives. Thank You, Lord, for the truth that we see in Your Word this evening. We pray that You give us encouragement through it, and we pray that You would foster a sense of deep hope within us as we rejoice over these truths. We love You, Lord, and we thank You for all of these things. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.